Welcome to the Deep Change Podcast, where we explore the future of human potential through psychology, brain tech, and pushing the boundaries of neuroplasticity. I'm your host, James Garrett, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Amy Saran on the show. Dr. Saran is a neuropsychologist and founder of the Saran Center. Her research and clinical practice led her to invent touch points, a neurotechnology designed to reduce stress. She conducts neuropsychological evaluations for kids and adults struggling with ADHD, learning disabilities, IQ, traumatic brain injury, anxiety, depression, autism spectrum disorders, and giftedness. Dr. Saren takes a strengths-based, results-oriented approach to her psychotherapy. Her approach is based, is based in both scientific and holistic approaches and stems from a broad educational background. She's, she graduated from ASU where she holds a PhD in clinical psychology with a specialty in pediatric neuropsychology from the Fielding Institute in Santa Barbara, California. Dr. Saran completed her training at Phoenix Children's Hospital and several private practices before opening a practice to serve the broader Phoenix area. She's a visionary and a leader in everything she does and is now the president-elect of the Arizona Neuropsychological Association. Most of all, she's passionate about making all of us a little happier and a lot less stressed. Dr. Saran, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I am so excited for this. Uh, I, uh, I've been following what you guys have been up to for a little while, and um, I wanted to just start out with a very, very simple question uh, that, that I think is probably more complex in the answer than the question is simple. Uh, but why stress? What is it in your estimation that is so important about sort of tackling stress head on? Yeah. So when I was picking, you know, what do I want to focus on? Right. I have these clinics, I have um, this broad background and what's the one thing that if we can prove it in the human condition would create change on a global scale and mm. make the most impact. And the answer is stress. And in looking mm. at how we treat stress and how we understand stress, people are very misguided, unfortunately. And um, so I want to debunk the myths about stress and also treat it in a way that's non-invasive and accessible to everybody. And that led me to the invention of touch points. But the bottom line is, is that um, if we don't have a handle on our stress individually and collectively, we're not functioning optimally. And everything terrible about the human condition happens when we're in a state of stress and or comes out of um, the results of chronic stress. Hmm. God, that seems so true. Uh... Tell us what you mentioned myths about stress. What, what are some of those myths that we hold that we should be aware of? So a couple of things that are based on our misunderstandings about how the brain works. First of all, people typically think stress is something that happens outside of you. I have a crazy mother-in-law, so of course mm -hmm. I'm stressed. But stress is really your moment-to-moment -moment fluctuation based on your autonomic nervous system in every second. And, and so basically there's a trigger and then your nervous system reacts via the salience network. And when we break it down to that very basic level and also think of it in terms of being a switch, 
that is very easily turned on by certain triggers, but it's harder to turn it off with those triggers. A thought mm -hmm. is a great example of that, where if an automatic thought comes into my head, I can get become very stressed out. On uh, zero to 10, the average is about 7.5, just with one thought. But then mm -hmm. try to recruit a thought consciously to turn that stress switch back down to zero. It doesn't happen that way. This is not the way the brain is wired. So I can show you, I'll show you this graphic here since I don't, but we want to mm -hmm. think of it as a switch, but it's just not as easily to turn off once it's turned on. Um, mm -hmm. And when we understand how that works, then we can start to really um, do the things that are going to be more helpful. So I'm really tired of people um, trying to outwit their stress. It just is not very effective. And people say, well, just breathe. You know, your five-year-old's having a tantrum, tell him to breathe. Good luck. Good luck. Because when we're in a state of stress, when our stress switch is too high, we actually don't have the ability to think clearly. That's part of what gets shuts down as we go into a state of what we call sympathetic arousal. As we go towards fight or flight, all non-essential functions that we need for survival shut down. That's higher order thinking. It's empathy. It's the ability to really listen and hear what people are saying. All those things shut down. And when we understand that, we can treat stress more effectively as a moment-to-moment -moment fluctuation based on an autonomic process in the body rather than thinking, oh, because I have a crazy mother-in-law, I just have to suffer or I have to deep breathe or I have to add three hours of exercise to my day and do all these things in the name of stress management that actually add, sometimes add more stress to our lives. <laughs> right. We feel guilty that we can't get to all of them, right? So I want to demystify stress and make it easy for people to know that they can get stress relief anytime and anywhere. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, Good stuff. I'm telling you. It's, you know, it's like, I feel like I've hit the mother load and it's like, wow, <laughs> everybody like what, you know, and this is over a lot of years of, of doing this research and originally kind of starting out thinking, um, how do we prevent PTSD? And you, I don't need a vaccine for PTSD because we're subject to stress all day, every day in this kind of fluctuation. But if you can bring someone back to calm faster and reliably after stress, we can essentially vaccinate people against PTSD without injecting them with anything. We just have to bring mm. them back to regulation. And that was the impetus behind the technology and the touch points. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so where this has taken you, um, and again, for, for the listeners, touch points is a, is a technology that you wear uh, uh, on your wrists. Uh, that, what why don't you just tell us more about the touch points technology? Sure. sure. So the touch points um, are embedded with haptic microvibrations, so they're non-invasive. And people always say to me, well, how can vibration change your stress? Doesn't it have to emit something? Don't I have to think about something? Don't I have mm. to do this? And, and when you understand how stress works in the brain, you understand that a sensory trigger can either prompt the brain unconsciously to turn the stress switch on or turn it off. So this prompts the brain to actually lower the stress response. And there's published research showing that it does it in 62% in 30 seconds. And so what you do is you would just turn these touch points on like this and they'll sync up together and you can wear them. You can hold them in your hands or you've got your wristbands on that you showed me. Yeah. Or they're I'm, modular. I'm, you can I've stick got them on my wrist. So yeah. yeah. And they have to be one on one side and one on the other. So you okay. can put them on your wrist. You also, for kids, or if you're wearing this before bedtime and you don't want the sound, you can just zip them 
in these pouches and put them on your wrists or your ankles, or you can even wear them in your pockets or your socks. As long as one's on one side of the body and one's on the other, they're going to have an effect on um, typically reducing calm significantly in about 30 seconds. And if you're in a state of prolonged stress, so when I'm giving, like right now I have mine on and I'm going to keep them on the whole time. Mm. Um, or if I'm public speaking or if I'm having a heated conversation with someone or dealing with something that I really don't want to deal with, or if my son is tantruming, you know, we kind of mm. keep them on during that time. And it seems to keep the stress switch uh, lower. So the sort of high stakes or high pressure situations. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I know they work because I've been using them. Uh, and uh, in fact, yesterday I did a big webinar. I had over 300 people sign up for the, this webinar. And right. so, of course, it was this kind of a thing, right? I had a lot of pressure, um, a lot of people dialing in from all over the world. And um, and I did. I threw I threw my touch points on right before uh, I went on. And again, it was just, just that that feeling we all know when we get nervous, or we feel anxious about something that's about to happen. Our brain is trying to help us, but of course, in the process of trying to help us, it's shutting down all the faculties we need to be at our very best, right? Our executive function, our working memory, our ability to have clear thoughts um, and coherent, uh, you know, everything in our sort of higher faculties, as you mentioned, kind of shuts down when stress. I think of, you know, one of the things I've I've been playing with with my... uh, five and a half year old is, um, is, is uh, like, you know, equating it or, or sort of externalizing it as like a light switch. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her <laughs> that when, that we, that like our problem solving, you know, when I was reading, uh, Walter Michelle's book, the marshmallow test, uh, he's sort, of, <laughs> right. he, sort of, he sort of equates it, uh, to our problem solving brain, which I kind of mm-hmm. like as an idea. Um, and uh, and so when we're when she and I when when something breaks, for example, a toy or just for something minor, and, and there's this big emotional upset about the the uh, the issue, um, we'll talk it through. And I'll actually, or at least I was doing this when she was a little bit younger. I would I would turn off a light and say, okay, so when we're really upset like this, right? Our 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 thinker, our problem solver, turn turns off, right? And so. Um, uh, and so we'll, we process it through, we sort of calm back down, and then we go back into problem solving mode. And I flip the light switch back on just to show her visually that oh, there's awesome. a part yeah. of her brain that sort of flips on and off depending mm-hmm. on how calm or stressed she is. Now, I don't know if I'm doing that the way you would do it, uh, but uh, in fact, if there were a way to do it better, <laughs> what would you suggest? <laughs> okay, so let's let's insert me into that situation. Yeah. And um, since I always have my charged touch points, what I would do is I would just have them hold, have her hold the touch points first. Yeah. Then that's going to bring the stress switch down to a level where then you can reason. Because we all know if our if our kids are moderately stressed, we can be the calm container and we can use that to kind of calm them down. But they still can't really process and reason until the stress switch is reasonably low. So you want to think of it as more of a dimmer switch rather than just an on or an off because mm. that gets you to kind of conceptualize the levels at which you can be triggered. You don't have to be in full-blown fight or flight 
to be moderately stressed and then still your in you know your inflammatory process in your body is higher and you're not thinking quite clearly and everything so there's these um, there's nuances of how, of how that's, how high that stress is. Mm. And, um, and then I would probably reason with her, but it sounds like you did a really good job of being that kind of that calm container. And that's what a lot of parents don't think of. A lot of parents just go, you know, I don't know why you're upset. Right. Mm. Or they try to meet the child's stress with their own or try to talk them out of it. And if they're not doing it in a very calm way, in a very loving way, then oftentimes that doesn't move their stress switch. And it can create more of kind of a, a battle or the child's going to, it's going to escalate their tantrum. So, yeah, I find that so fascinating. Um, I do see this a lot in, in parents um, where, you know, the child is elevating or they're having some kind of a tantrum or, or, or sort of emotional upset. And this often also occurs, especially when there's other people around because parents are kind of embarrassed, right? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're trying to sort of contain the tantrum and the way they'll often do it is uh, uh, to sort of dismiss it. Say, it's okay, yeah. it's okay. It's like, like basically yeah. don't feel the way you're feeling. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, yeah. And it's often not that helpful, um, you know, or they'll yeah. threaten them, you know, if you don't straighten up, then I'm going to do something. And then the kids so like, elevate and match their and now you've, what you've done is you've taken their, their um, upset and turned it into the freeze mode. Um, because it's really fight or flight uh, is really kind of fight, flight or freeze where they're like, no, I can't do anything. And I'm kind of paralyzed, but they're still in a stressed out state. So mm. your job, I think, as parents, number one, is to get your kids to be in a calm state as much as possible. And that's also, you can take that example and move it to relationships too, where if one person's having, you know, kind of a tantrum, like I came home and you know, the dishes aren't done and I thought you said you do them and whatever. If the other partner meets that tantrum with a tantrum, now it's war because both people are in what we call their lizard brain, right? Or they're both, Mm -hmm. their stress switches are too high however you want to think about it. And they're not reasonable with each other. Um, and then that can escalate to, you never do this, you never do that, you know, and, and then a fight and people regret it. And sometimes even this is what ruins relationships over time. Mm. So the name of the game is meeting someone's upset with regulation. And then that can transmute that stress into something more calm. And that's where real transformation and change can take place. You know, insight, love, joy, none of that can happen when the stress switches on. So when we, we detonate that, when we transmute that, when we um, help people with, with love and, and being kind of steadfast in our own right, then we're really, you know, changing the human condition to the, to the extent that we have an influence on it. And this is why we start with ourselves too. Mm. You know, um, we all have a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde mode. Right. Where sometimes when I'm calm, I'm pretty great. Right. Mm. But when I'm time pressure and I'm rushing around and someone cuts me off in traffic, then, you know, then I might do something about that or yell or flip somebody off or, you know, whatever. And so we all have these modes and we don't need to feel guilty that we have these modes, but we owe it to ourselves and to the people around us to um, regulate ourselves to the greatest extent possible so that we can be better. God, so fascinating. Talk, talk to me a little bit more about, and talk to our listeners a little bit more about um, the process of building stress resilience. 
Um, you know, you mentioned kind of being yeah. a, a calm container. I like those words. Um, I find for myself that if I'm not making daily deposits, and usually it's multiple deposits throughout my day, my yoga routine, my meditation, my reading, like, you know, the things that I'm doing to basically take care and increase my capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that I am a worse version of myself, you know, and, and, and vice versa. When I do those things, I'm the best version of myself. So how do people build that resilience reservoir, that stress reservoir, or, or sorry, stress resilience reservoir? Um, and how do they give themselves permission to do it? Okay. So there's a lot in there, but I'll start by saying that you do want a base of healthy behaviors, right? And it starts with sleep, okay? Mm -hmm. um, it starts with, and there's some easy things that you can do for sleep. I don't want to add another hour to everyone's day in the name of stress management. So when you're describing kind of your regimen, a lot of people might be listening going like, oh gosh, I've got three kids and mm -hmm. I've got this and that. I don't have an extra hour a day to do these things. And even though the truth is we can build in what's important and kind of shift things to take better care of ourselves, we don't want to do things that take, you know, several hours a day, if we can do things that are very, they're are very efficient. So the first name of the, the first thing is this kind of, if you think of it as a pyramid, the base of the pyramid is um, without requiring more time, you can get better quality sleep. Okay. And you can do that by adding orange, amber colored glasses. There's a great doctor, Michael Bruce, he's the sleep doctor and he's got these amber colored glasses. You put them on a couple hours before you go to sleep at night. And it ha it's a brain hack because mm. the artificial light in your environment signals you to stay awake. And so if I'm in artificial light and not my screens, it's even the overhead light. And that's where people go, Oh, I just blocked out this on my screen. And I go, that's not enough. Your light mm. is doing it. Um, mm. If this, and this is also why people prescribe nature for, for stress. It's also being in nature, but it's also that when you're out of artificial light, your body's natural circadian rhythm actually start to sync up and you get better quality sleep. This is why nobody's up at 1 a.m. camping if there's no artificial light source. They're all asleep. They can't stay awake. Right. So you regulate that as part of the base, and that's easy. I'm not adding anything to your day. I'm, you know, It's a $30 or $40 pair of glasses, and that's really quick and easy. And then you make a commitment to yourself to not – stay up an extra hour or two just because you want to be, you know, browsing social media or whatever. So you make those a priority without adding too much. Then there's just a basis of healthy nutrition. If you're eating, you can subs anyway, you're not adding any time necessarily to eat healthy versus something unhealthy, right? So these are right. quick swaps and hacks that you can do. If you want to take it to the next level, then you start, you know, meditating, doing yoga, exercising, you want to spend more time with people who are positive mm -hmm. forces in your life. And when negative things happen, you don't talk yourself into um, the need to vent to other people. So mm -hmm. we're dealing with Tell us more about that, happen. yeah. Okay, so when I am, have a tough situation, you know, let's say I walk outside my office and somebody's on the phone really loud smoking inside my office building and they're not supposed to and I get miffed, right? Mm -hmm. I have to deal with that in that moment. But rather than complain about that to the next 10 people I see that day, that extends that energy out. That stresses people out. Can you believe this? This woman did this and that and this. You're actually reactivating your stress switch. And then when you're stressed, other people are stressed. You're reactivating theirs. But be mindful about, do I really need to keep reliving something that's done? 
right? Do I really need to keep telling me these stories? And how am I perpetuating my own stress switch in ways that would kind of be easy for me to shut off, right? Right. Um, And then the last is, is, you know, back to kind of the touch points. Those are very, very convenient, cost-effective ways to regulate your stress in every moment when you find that out. So we want these ways to where we can keep that, those levels down. And then we're, we're kind of in business in terms of our optimal functioning and our ability to help regulate others. I'm talking to a friend who just got mm. diagnosed with skin cancer on her lip and I turn them on and hand them to her and she immediately comes out of fight or flight. And then she can start problem solving instead of visualizing how terrible her face is going to look if she has a scar and what if it's spread and mm. what if it's stage four and all these terrible, awful things that aren't really happening. They're just the story she's telling about it. Right. But we all have those things in our lives, bad news, you know, a a partner that's upset, things that we don't want to happen that we're resisting and moving into acceptance and moving into kind of flowing with our life can only happen when our stress switches low. Wow. I love that. I love that. Um, You mentioned a word um, about 10 minutes ago, time pressure or pairing. Yeah. I find for myself that if I'm under time pressure, uh, the worst angel of my nature comes out, right? <laughs> when yeah, I'm not right, under right, time right. pressure, the better angel of my nature comes out. Right. So, it's, it's just your stress. Is my stress switch really high or is it really low? That's the only difference, right? That's the distinction. I love it. I love it. it it's so root cause. Um, it's such a, you know, when we, we think of all, we see all these symptoms in our lives of, 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 of manifestations of a million different kinds of, of a root cause of, of kind of chronic or overactivated stress over time. Um, and we think there are all these different things, but we, we, we keep boiling it down to what's causing it, a lot of its stress. So how do you recommend people deal with this sort of time pressure culture that we live in? Well, the first, some of it's self-induced, you know, I mean, you, mm. you can not overschedule yourself. And the other thing that you can do is you can realize that it's not the end of the world if you're late or if something happens, you know, so I, th- I see this a lot with parents in the morning, uh, activating mm. their kids stress switches when they're getting ready for school, right? For sure. We can't be late, we can't be late, we can't be late. Mm. And some of it's a matter of just, listen, if your kid's tardy a couple days in the semester it's not the end of the world it's not worth putting everybody in stress switch mode just in case Mm -hmm. not worth it right Mm -hmm. and the second thing is sometimes you go okay you need to structure things better pack their lunch you know have them pack their lunches the night before or do this sometimes there's kind of an executive function fix where you can look at your day and say you know gosh I'm looking at these patterns and I'm stressed out on my way to work because I do this and that and this, and then I'm always under time pressure. If I rearrange my day a little bit, then I won't be under that time pressure, right? Mm. Um, and then there's the unavoidable things like with travel. This is why travel just is so can be so stressful for people, you know? Mm-hmm. You have to be on time for the airplane, right? right. But, but you can wear your touch points. In fact, I was at a conference and um, showing a, a, a neuroscientist the touch points. And I said, Hey, I, I want to show you something. And he said, well, I, I, I'm really stressed out. I'm late for my flight. And I said, well, I'm going to take that away, pop yeah. the touch points in his hands. And we're, um, and he, then he calmed down and he actually stood there and talked to me. And I said, now I'm going to tell you the mechanism behind this, yeah. but I want you to tell me if you think it's ironic that you're later now for your flight, but you're less stressed out. Yeah. 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 And he's like, 
uh, right. What is that? You know, what is that? <laughs> and so a lot of times also we misattribute our stress to something. And it's really, again, it's your nervous system reactivity to a trigger. And yes. the trigger can be a thought. It can be a sound. It can be um, smelling a cologne that reminds you of your ex that you had a traumatic relationship with. You know, it can be any kind of sensory information. That's how our brain works to um, regulate us. And that same network, by the way, regulates whether or not you can pay attention to something. So one of the feedback we get is when people are having to have the touch points on, they're like, I'm actually listening to you more instead of getting distracted with the internal chatter. Like, Oh, I can't forget to do this or what about this? Or I can't believe that person said that or whatever. There's automatic thoughts that distract us from the present moment. And we are more highly distractible when our stress switches are higher. So this is also a matter of, can we focus? And I love telling people to meditate because it's so great over time. However, some people sit down and without external distractions, they realize that those automatic thoughts are pretty darn scary mm. and upsetting and they can't focus and it can actually trigger their fight or flight. So before even getting typical stressed out, time pressured Americans, you know, mm. on the meditation mat, if they haven't done it, we use the touch point technology as kind of training wheels for meditation to lower the stress switch enough to where they can get some moments of focus and they can actually get a lot more out of that present moment experience of the meditation. Got it. Oh, that makes so much sense. So you're, so you're taking the baseline level of the, of the body's kind of state of arousal you're 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 dipping that or lowering that mm -hmm. so that meditation uh is not a sort of it, it, meditation is does what it's designed to do which is to calm you not mm -hmm. stress not you out more of a stress yeah. reaction yeah. because yeah. you go wow these thoughts inside yeah. of you I don't usually pay attention to you know and i have a lot of patients that'll come in yeah. and they'll say i just keep myself busy because at night my brain just goes and goes and goes mm. and i can't fall asleep or i don't like what it's saying you know these unchecked thoughts can be really cool you know if we took our internal chatter and put it into a person most of us would really not like that person mm. right and right. so we and we can't it's a lot of effort to try to change every thought so again, one of the strategies too is using the touch points before you go to bed at night to automatically cut down that chatter that is only unchecked when your stress switch is on. When your stress switch is off, that chatter is not going to actually spontaneously emerge as much. Mm -hmm. It won't be as negative. And it also, um, you can have more of the mind control that you want. Everyone's trying to manage their stress with mind control. It's a crappy strategy hmm. because your mind control only works when you're not stressed. Fascinating. Right? So, so you're when you say mind control, I'm hearing what you're saying is like, is like psychological reframing. Like you're, yeah, or any kind of conscious thing. Like, wow, I'm observing that I'm feeling my heart's, you know, this, and I'm really angry right now. I don't want to be angry. So I'm going to, um, so I know I shouldn't be angry because this isn't really about me. And, you know, um, my therapist said this and, you know, whatever else. So you're trying to kind of create this internal dialogue to mm. talk your stress switch down. And it's not usually very effective if your stress switch is above a three or a four. I see. And then yeah. when it's up at, at seven, eight or nine, or, you know, in full-blown fight or flight, you don't even have access to that voice. So these strategies that we're teaching people to do during panic attacks, unless mm -hmm. they're very, very practiced, 
don't, they, it doesn't even occur to the person in the moment or it breaks down. Does it remember it, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 please okay. finish. Well, you don't get to pick whether you go into fight, flight, or freeze. So mm. I lived out of the country for a while there were mice. And every time I saw a mouse, I would go, oh, and I would, you know, kick back. And I was so annoyed with myself because the sound I made, it was not that cool even. I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I didn't do that. Right. But I don't get to pick when I see a mouse. It's automatic. And even right. Charles Darwin would stand at the zoo behind this, um, you know, this puff out or the snake. And he knew he was behind glass and said, I'm just going to stand here a million times knowing that that snake is not going to actually hit me. Every time it striked, he went back into fight or flight. Interesting. Even though consciously he knows he's not going to get hurt, the power of your survival mechanisms in your brain is way, way, way more powerful than your consciousness. And we all love consciousness. I know we're obsessed with it. We want to think consciousness can do all this great stuff. But let me tell you, if it was as powerful as we thought, we would not be overweight. We wouldn't drink when we didn't want to. We wouldn't say the things we didn't want to. We'd be in way more control. So it's very illusory. And it's very much a false sense of security, thinking that we have as much conscious control. Um, we have very little conscious control because our brain works off of heuristics. And that's good news because um, if we were in conscious control of everything, we wouldn't have any time or energy to do things. If I had to think about breathing all the time, you know, right. I'm not going to be able right. to um, do anything else. So we want these heuristics, but there's a double-edged sword to consciousness. We'll take consciousness. We love it. It's cool. It makes us human beings. It makes us be able to have these wonderful conversations and get excited about things yeah. and think and move things forward. But the price we pay for consciousness is kind of this, some of this unchecked mind and this illusion that it's really in control when your autonomic nervous system is actually in control. Fascinating. 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 Yeah, yeah, people, people don't. That's why I had to write a whole book because it's, it's so much. You <laughs> yes, know, and, as I, and as I'm on this journey too, you know, people come to me. You know, we've had touch points out for a while. They've been on the market for a few years. And yeah. even when I was experimenting with them, my patients say, you know, why do I just think more positively with these on? I'm like, I don't know. Let me find out. And sure enough, we look at the electroencephalogram data and go, wow, look at what it's doing in the, the right hemisphere. And we know when we suppress certain wavelengths in the right hemisphere, spontaneous positive thoughts emerge right mm. but trying to control those and do that doesn't work but we can get what we call spontaneous change by hacking into this nervous system non-invasively it's really really amazing yeah tell, tell us a little bit more so, so the technology again for those who've never used it um and again i'm wearing them on my my wrists right now you can see uh they alternate back and forth the, the vibration or the haptic vibration as you mentioned they, they go back and forth. Tell us why that matters that you're wearing them on two, your, you know, your, your pockets or two sides of your body to your wrists. Um, and, and what's the mechanism? I know this grew up somehow out of EMDR, um, but what, why does it work? So you just have to give a certain sensory stimulation for the salience network to make a different decision about the stress switch. So there's a, there's a pre-conscious network that, that is actually, um, it's always scanning. So you don't probably, you're not paying attention to how your shoes feel right now on your feet. And that's because the salience network, it's actually getting those signals, but it's actually filtering them out for you because mm. it's allowing you to focus on what's important. And if there was a loud sound, the salience network would put your stress switch up. Okay. Hmm. But we can, so we can interfere with that network through 
sensory means to get it to downgrade that stress switch without your conscious awareness. So if you've had, if you have these on for a while, your brain like white noise will tune them out. It's not a conscious distraction. It doesn't work off distraction. It doesn't work off of numbing. It actually is creating a different decision in the brain. It's hacking into the algorithm, so to speak. And for some reason, bilateral stimulation hacks that better. We can get a 62% reduction on average in stress in 30 seconds. Whereas other modes wow. of sensory methods, like if I turned on 432 hertz music right now and I close my eyes and I dim the lights, I'm going to get a calming effect from that. It's not going to be 62% in 30 seconds. So it's mm -hmm. just basically how you hack into that algorithm in the most efficient way and in a way that you can multitask with. So here's the thing. EMDR therapy uses sounds and there's binaural beats and all these great things, yeah. but I can't do that at my desk at work if, or I can't do that during a meeting. So tactile stimulation makes sense. And that's the technology and touch points because I can do it anytime and anywhere. Right. And without changing what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. I, I find the most, I find what I'm driving is when I enjoy wearing them the most. And again, I know traffic stresses a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. uh, when you mentioned doubling up, uh, in not adding more to people's plates to de-stress, but to kind of pair what you're already doing with a stress-reducing activity. Yes. Um, I find driving to be one of the most powerful times to do this type of um, stress resilience building. You know, I, whether yeah. it's, you know, wearing your touch points or doing deep breathing, um, I'll often throw sort of a breathing meditation on. Obviously, I'm uh, keeping my eyes open. I'm not doing a full meditation, but I'm doing this sort of calming breathing. And so I actually love driving now. <laughs> great. Well, and here's what's great about that. So I love the efficiency of that, right? Right. Because then when you get home, you're not stressed when you get home and then you need to get on the mat for half an hour or you need to do something to de-stress. Right. Now you're, you're kind of maximizing your time, right? The right. other thing is now you like driving. Here is a really cool thing. There's a whole chapter about this in my book about what we avoid is ba and what we move towards is based on an unconscious um, memory network kind of triggers that are based on whether or not something is unpleasant. So you've actually paired driving now with relaxation in your brain. Uh, wow. Yep. And now you like driving. So you're actually going to be more likely to say, hey, let's go drive for a weekend and take a trip. Or I don't mind driving, honey, or whatever it is, because this automatic paired association now is positive. Now, people might not care. Well, I don't care if I want to drive. But think about it in terms of things that you actually want to accomplish in your life. Are you procrastinating on something? What if you actually enjoyed that? What if we paired calm and relaxation with that task? Because mm. you're wearing touch points with that task. Now, not only are you not procrastinating, but you're looking forward to it. and You're more motivated to do it. How does that change your life? We've got kids who are afraid to, you know, try out for the band or try out for a sport. They put touch points on, think about it for five minutes and go, why wouldn't I? Mm. Because again, that, that when you tone the stress switch down, the avoidance patterns stop. Your That's brain right. is designed heuristically to avoid anything unpleasant or anything that you even think might be unpleasant. Right. Well, I don't want to get up and be embarrassed. Well, I don't want to do this. And how many right. careers have been stymied? How many people haven't gone out for the sport or asked the girl on a date or done all of these things? So we're essentially stress is fear. Okay. Right. Well, that's a big one for people like, wait, what? They're two different things, but really it's the fear system being activated. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you take that down, the world's your oyster. Wow. Wow. I might yeah. blow your mind because my mind has been blown for years for this, which is why I'm full of talking to you today. Because it's, it is, it's the most exciting thing. And yeah. we're just not thinking about it correctly. We're really not. Yeah. But it's such an exciting message. Yeah. So for those who are listening, this is Dr. Saren is absolutely spot on in terms of what is causing, uh, what is holding us back, right, from achieving our potential. Um, so if if you have wanted to, you know, go for that thing, your dream, whatever that is, um, it may be that you're in an elevated state too often, right? In, in these types of practices of getting yourself into a calmer, more um, uh, c- coming coming from a place of of uh, thinking of Daniel Siegel right now of source of of of, yeah. of kind of calm. Um, and, and, and the sort of rest and digest space that you're you are at your best might right. be one of these keys that unlocks your potential. Absolutely. And I want to add with that, that's absolutely the case. But then what, where we tell people how to do that falls short. You know, mm. oh, how do I do that? I go to a weekend retreat or I have to think about this or I have to whatever. When we remove stress, when we just hack into that network, we are getting spontaneous change. Mm. We can do that with EMDR therapy too. So when people come in and they're like, I drink too much, as long as they don't need rehab, I say, okay, that's fine. Don't change your behavior yet. We're going to get your brain to not need it. And then the behavior will spontaneously change and you don't need to white knuckle it and feel guilty and go on a program and spend all this time and energy trying to work against the autonomic processes in your brain and the pleasure center and all these things and kind of, willfully overcome it because that's like you know me having a thumb war with Shaq right like he's yeah. just gonna win just you know gonna win. Just, there's no <laughs> way that you know when you look at consciousness and you look at the autonomic function or the pleasure center if you've got a behavioral yeah. addiction there's just it's just not a fair fight right right Oh, Dr. Saren, this has just been so amazing. Uh, I the the amount of insight and and clarity you're bringing to this topic is amazing. It's, it's immense, and so I I just want to take the time to just say thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience, uh, and the and your invention. You know, the, the 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 I know you've co-founded this. You have other people on your team, but but this technology which is pushing all of humanity forward right we're, we're now getting into this space where non-invasive non-chemical means yeah. of becoming our best selves is looking like more and more the future of human potential and so i thank you for all your time energy and effort that you've obviously just done an amazing job with with everything that you're building um, where can people find you? So um, people can find me at uh, amysarin.com. Okay. It's A-M-Y-S-E-R-I-N.com. And that'll link to touch points, my Saren Center clinics, and also give information about my new book, The Stress Switch, which is launching at the end of this month. Awesome. And okay. one other thing I will say, I'll just plug. Please. I am, um, There's a brain summit at Bradley University. April 26th, and it's myself and uh, Bessel van der Kolk. 
oh, yeah. wrote Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, um, very excited to be presenting um, alongside Bessel. And that people can actually attend online. So they don't have to go to Peoria, Illinois. And um, I'll be going through all of the research on this, the electroencephalogram studies and the peer-reviewed research studies and um, the mechanisms behind it and really summarizing in a lot of more detail all the things that we touched on today. Awesome. Awesome. So take what she said to heart. The, her website again, amysarin.com. That's A-M-Y-S-E-R-I-N.com. Go there, check out Touchpoints. Again, these guys are building amazing things. They're getting right to the root cause of a lot of the things that ail us, that hold us back, uh, and are, again, are unlocking our collective potential as human beings. Amy, Dr. Saren, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. And thank you also for all the work you're doing. You Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Take care. Take care.